Chapter six of Oscar Wilde The Story of an Unhappy Friendship by Robert Sherard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Had his influence indeed been for evil, it was to certain destruction that that evening in the house of the Avenue de Segur would have doomed me, for I surrendered to it entirely. The delight that I took in this friendship proceeded as much from my nature as from the circumstances under which I was living when we first met i had laid a severe discipline on myself and had been living in almost absolute solitude in a cottage surrounded by high walls in a remote part of passy here i wrote with no companionship but that of my many dogs and with no visitors but one strange old woman a marquise who had been famous for her beauty during the second empire who professed great admiration for some poor verse of mine and tried to prove it by coming to render menial services in the poet's neglected house in her old imperial days a royal admirer had compared her to a girl in la cruche cassée of Greuze, and indeed she resembled her clesinger had hewn her bust in marble yet she delighted to cook for me and to sweep my house and i found her once darning my hose to be taken out of this hermit's existence into the gladdest society was to me like a draught of strong wine i let myself drift on the whirling current of this new life but never once did anxiety beset me as to whither it might bear me i felt that his friendship was all for good and disastrous as in wounded sympathy it proved to be nothing ever came from first to last to belie that feeling except on the occasions when he was invited out the whole of our waking hours during those days in paris were spent together i used to call at the hotel voltaire at noon and rarely returned to passy before three o'clock in the morning he would not come out to the wilds of my retreat after one visit passy he said is a dreadful place to get to it is so far off that one's cabman keeps getting down off his box to ask for something on account of his pourboire. I think it was rather my dogs who frightened him away. He had a curious dislike to animals. Dogs are so fussy, he said, that they become tedious. This badinage concealed a real physical aversion, which I afterwards found in Alphonse Daudet also. On the one occasion when he came to my house, he lunched with me the poor marquise had prepared the dinner and for the most part waited on us but she found no favour in his eyes in spite of her kindness and that evening he rated me for associating with a person whom old age had so disfigured we often went to lavenues near the gare montparnasse a house of call in those days for artists of the brush and of the pen paul bourget used to be there and one day john sargent sketched the three of us into the wonderful album which was one of the curiosities of the house a year or two ago happening that way i entered this cafe and asked for the book hoping to revive for a few moments the radiant past but the landlord of those days was landlord no longer he had retired and had taken his albums with him the cafe d'orsay on the quai d'orsay often attracted us on our way to the hotel voltaire and here we used to meet bourget he was then in penurious ways and seemed as depressed and reticent as wilde was exuberant and talkative 
i think at times of these two as they then were in the race and as they were twelve years later bourget in the palm embroidered coat of the academy wild in the i was then living too much out of the world to be able to say what impression he produced in parisian society or what successes he achieved i fancy though that these were less than at the time i imagined and as was reported in london he seems to have attracted the attention of de goncourt who refers to the english poet in his diary and quotes some of the stories he told of his experiences in america i have described his visits to victor hugo and to dinatis i also accompanied him on two occasions to sarah bernhardt who showed great liking and admiration for him on the first occasion we called on her at the vaudeville theatre during the performance of one of sardou's plays in which she was acting we were received in the little salon adjoining her dressing-room and sarah who was in evident deshabille changing dresses for her part put her head out between the dividing curtains to welcome oscar wilde with her most cordial smiles jean richepin and other men were in the little drawing-room the author of les blasphemes with his arms folded and it seemed to me that our visit no less than sarah's evident pleasure in it was somewhat resented some days later we went to her house on the avenue de villiers and on the way oscar wilde purchased from a street hawker a large heap of wallflowers which he presented to her it was a poor offering but she seemed delighted with it we found alexandra parody in her studio who showed much deference to oscar wilde and called him cher maitre parody was the author of that tragedy rome vaincu in which sarah secured her first real stage triumph at the comedie francaise i was much gratified by his attitude towards my new friend for i knew parody's own worth but oscar wilde found him rather tedious and the fact was that parody who had fallen on evil days was very depressing in his conversation wilde appeared to be sought after by english people who were visiting paris but he did not very willingly accept their invitations there was an amusing person staying at the hotel duran i believe she was a woman of great wealth with whom he dined on several occasions one night he had appointed me to meet him in the place vendome at ten o'clock but it was past eleven before he came out of the hotel duran and i complained of the hundreds of times i had had to walk round the square whilst awaiting him he said good heavens do you think i have been enjoying myself and gave me a little glimpse of the egotism to which i have referred he then spoke of his hostess as a woman who had a mania for associating the name of any person she was introducing either with some accomplishment or in default with some incident connected with him that might arouse interest she introduced a young man tonight as mr john blank whose uncle poor sir william had his legs so shamefully mangled on the underground railway the other day the advances which were made to him by distinguished people in parisian society had been carefully attracted by himself he was not disdainful of the indispensable arts for fostering social advancement on his arrival in paris he had sent copies of his volume of poems with letters to various artists and authors at the time of his arrest i saw in more than one literary salon laid out as curios of actuality the volume with its dedication and its accompanying letter written twelve years previously 
the shrewdness in the management of his affairs which this betokened confirmed me in the opinion that in their final mismanagement he was never for a moment a responsible man and this as will be seen later was his wife's opinion also i have said that our conversation was almost entirely about literature he talked to me much of walter pater and of swinburne for these two his admiration was supreme but he interested me perhaps more when he spoke of carlyle's history of the french revolution of which he knew many passages by heart and it was wonderful to hear how beautiful they sounded from his lips for at that time i was affecting an admiration for the sanguinary scoundrels of the revolution i had not then watched the republic at work and the answer of enjolras citoyen ma mère c'est la république seemed to me a divine utterance also when oscar wilde writing to me at passy used to address his letters to the citoyen robert sherard i was as pleased with the envelope as with its contents when he talked about himself it was literature also his sayings always seemed witty to me and i used to note down in an interleaved copy of de la rochefoucauld the bon mot i had heard from him during the day i think that the saying of which just then he was most proud was where he had expressed his disappointment with the atlantic to an interviewer in new york and he related also with much gusto how in a country house he had told his host one evening that he had spent the day in hard literary work and that when asked what he had done he had said i was working on the proof of one of my poems all the morning and took out a comma and in the afternoon in the afternoon well i put it back again there was also his remark to a hostess who reproved him for coming late what madam do you think that the little clock knows of what the great golden sun is doing he spoke little of his american tour and i gathered that it had not been a source of much satisfaction to him and that the ugliness of american cities had distressed him the only incident which he related with pleasure was that he had discovered in chicago a young sculptor of irish extraction who was poor friendless ignored and unhappy and that by speaking of him and his work in the course of one of his lectures in that city he had drawn attention to him with the result that his position had been greatly improved the sculptor afterwards came to europe but i did not see him by wilde's side when the catastrophe had come of colours magenta of places bayswater were his horror at least so he said a bayswater view of life meant from his lips a severe condemnation for mediocrity that stead london district afforded him an attributive of almost universal application and the same may be said of the word chromolithographic with reference to the colour magenta he declared that the sight of it gave him real pain he was delighted to hear that a bitter enemy of my youth had been a boy whom i knew only as the magenta cad from a bag he carried and with whom i had fought many battles i remember that oscar wilde composed a verse to render the colour impossible it ran something like this put yellow lilies in your hair but wear not the magenta zone for that would make you out of tone i could not love you if you were i have heard little of his school or university days but when we spoke together of oxford there was enthusiasm on his side his years at magdalen seemed to him at that time to have been the happiest period of his life 
i always fancied that the fact that i did not take my degree seemed to him to draw a line between us there were certain subjects on which he would not listen to me and when other graduates were present a vague feeling of exclusion from his confidence communicated itself to me he spoke of his parents with high admiration but i noticed with some misease that with reference to his father he seemed to have the middle-class contempt for the title of knighthood he would refer to it apologetically yet for more sonorous prefixes he had a certain admiration he introduced me at various times to noblemen and each time i noticed with what pleasure he pronounced their names these things were the only indications and those of the very faintest that he had risen to a place in society which was not his milieu by birth for speranza he had a sheer veneration and the beauty of his conduct towards her to the very end must arrest admiration and respect from those who most severely condemn him in all the bitterness of his punishment nothing can have pained his noble heart more than that he could not be with her when she died in france a condemned murderer his mother lying at death's door would be allowed under escort certainly to go to her bedside but in england the prison regulations are framed with no such humanity during the whole day of february third eighteen ninety six i had the spectacle before my eyes of the unhappy man in his cell in reading jail knowing that each moment might be his mother's last he spoke of her to me often in those radiant early days and with such enthusiasm that for it alone i could not but have admired him her serenity towards life was one of the points he insisted upon with most pride and there was a tragic story he used to tell of how when his mother was nursing his father on his dying bed each morning there came into the sick-room the veiled and silent figure of a woman who sat and watched but never spoke and at nightfall went away to return next morning her serenity was to stand lady wilde in good stead in the last days her resignation spared her much bitter suffering when the final verdict was communicated to her and she knew that she would see him no more she only turned over on her side in bed and said may it help him he was a good son when he was in london he never let a day pass without visiting his mother in spite of his extravagance and generosity to his friends and the precariousness of his income he contributed to her support largely and with a regularity most meticulous nor did he limit himself to this allowance on arriving at the house his first steps used to carry him to the rack by the side of the fireplace where unpaid bills were put and if he ever went away without leaving the money to discharge them it was because he had bestowed it elsewhere and though he might not follow his mother to her grave he had at least in his prison cell the consolation of the thought that her sumptuous and honourable funeral was paid for out of the poor remnant of his fallen fortune he spoke to me also with much affection and admiration of his brother willie and told me stories of their boyish comradeship which showed a warm heart here also and though in later years the ways of the two brothers deviated and a gulf seemed to divide them he maintained his admiration for willie's brilliant cleverness to the end and in the bottom of his heart the old boyish affection also i heard him once after willie's death scourge a man who had spoken somewhat slightingly of his brother as i had never heard him speak before 
his ingenuousness his simplicity showed themselves in his story of an incident of their nursery days i had given willie a toy bear of mine of which i was very fond he said and whenever afterwards i got angry with him i used to threaten him with an i shall take back my bear willie it was a saying with us till we were men he laughed heartily at this remembrance when he spoke as he often did of the sister who was dead his wondrous eyes softened she was like a golden ray of sunshine dancing about our home it was she of whom he wrote in his poems coffin board heavy stone lie on her breast i vex my heart alone she is at rest the beautiful child who hardly knew she was a woman so softly she grew yes under the posturing and the persiflage under the scented curls and the cynicism under the native sensuality and the assumed worldliness there was in my friend the tender heart of an affectionate little child nor did adversity any more harden it than triumph it was so to the last as it had always been all these are the impressions which my memory recalls as i think back on the days in which the friendship dawned when i left paris he remaining behind i railed against the circumstances which were separating us End of chapter 6